0: while they're doing that, let me encourage the rest of you to grab a Bible, whether it be one that you brought with you or one that's under the seat back there in front of you, and turn with me to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. You're using one of our Black Q Bibles. You're going to find our text today on page 954. 954. Let me use an unusual introduction to my my message today. Yesterday I, I got a call from my father Early in the morning And my mom has broken her hip um, She didn't fall uh, She um, She's been taking steroids For a long time And, and th- that can make your bones brittle And it seems that just Getting out of bed you know, late in the night On Friday night into Saturday morning She just she broke, Have this fracture Right around her femoral ball So that's right where you're leg goes into your hip, and so um, when they're finally able to get her to the hospital, uh, you know, the nurses said, well, you know, I'm sure there's a, there's a schedule of hip replacement surgery in the morning, and they said, well, considering that my mom has arterial fibrillation with her heart, and she also has pulmonary fibrosis, um, doing traditional surgery is not going to work, so uh, really a, a hip replacement is, is out of the equation. So uh, the two two options available for her at this point are one either just to lie in bed for six and seven weeks or help in, hope that it would heal, and given her situation that's probably a terminal type of a, a thing to do. She'll just just get develop pneumonia or get blood clots and and won't survive. The other is to do some kind of an epidural and, and kind of numb her lower leg, lower body, and then try to place pins into her hip. But given that she's been on blood thinners, pretty high concentration of blood thinners for quite a while you know even doing an epidural can uh, be somewhat risky and so uh, they'll be working through that journey uh, this week and, and uh, talking to my oldest son's future father-in-law who's an orthopedic surgery he said well they'll probably take orthopedic surgeons probably take two or three days to kind of get her ready medically and then try to do the procedure with the pins is probably what they'll do so I'm going to travel down there later in the week my brother's going to go down in the morning and kind of be there to support my sister who's been on the front lines for for quite a while with them and you know just to show you how 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 fragile the situation is is that yesterday when she was in quite a bit of pain they they finally got clearance to give her some morphine and um she was still in somewhat of agony so they gave her an additional uh painkiller I think it was called dilata or something like that and dilata and it Basically, put her into such a deep sleep that she stopped breathing, and so uh, about every five to ten seconds, my sister had to wake her up and say, "Mom, you got to breathe." And that went on for about an hour and a half before they were able to reverse it with some some other kind of medicine. So, you know, that kind of a scenario is, you know, it 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 gets you wondering if you're kind of at the beginning of the end, you know. there There were just conversations just recently, you know where she really wasn 't declining and and the hope was that she could live kind of with the the issues that she has for she 's on oxygen twenty four seven and all that kind of stuff for hopefully that she could live for for a number of years and there were times when I thought it would just be great if she could make it to my son 's wedding in January now there are times you think you just hope she makes it to her eightieth birthday next month, you know and so you get really struggling with those issues of, of the beginning of the end, if you will. And, and I certainly would encourage, appreciate your prayers this week as things unfold and, and family members are shadowing back and forth. And my father's having a hard time dealing with all of this, as you can, can imagine. And so, but, you know, I, as, as I was processing that and then contrasted against my final preparations for today's message, you know, um, today's message isn't about the beginning of the end. It's a message about the end of the beginning. We come to Acts chapter 28. It's the end of the story of the book of Acts. But it really is the end of the beginning of the mission of the church. That the story's not over. It's just that the introduction is over. There's lots of chapters still to be left, read, written and read. And I want to come to this text today and look at it from this perspective what 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 is there in this text that provides us some guidance on how on how to build on that foundation to live out the rest of the story to not let acts chapter 28 be the end of the story but truly to be be the beginning of the story not only of god's work through his church but god's work in us as his people how is it that you and i can Discover what it is to live with faith The way it's supposed to be Which is really the thing we've been doing All the way through In fact, next week I'm going to go back And do a Neil's Top 5 From the Book of Acts all right? Now, I don't know how I'm going to do that yet But we're, we'll try to figure that out I'm going to try to do Neil's Top 5 I've got, I got pages this, this is all Acts right here So somehow i got to condense all of this down To just this, to one message But there's some great stuff in this text today But what I'd like for you to do Is follow along I'm going to read Acts chapter 28 to you as we become our habit here in the latter part of the book of Acts. I'll add some explanatory comments as we go through, and then I'll come back and ask this question is, how is it that you and I can build on the foundation? What are the things that we need to know? And when we last left off in the book of Acts, Paul and those who were traveling with him, Luke and, and others, along with their Roman captors and all of the 276 passengers and, and crew that were on the ship had experienced a shipwreck on the shores of the island, what we come to learn is Malta, and they've all made it safely to land. And so we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 28. Safely ashore, we learned that the island was called Malta. Today I think it's called Melita. And the local people showed us extraordinary kindness. For they lit a fire and took us all in, since rain was falling and it was cold. You know, just kind of couldn't get worse, right? You're, you're shipwrecked, you're swimming ashore, and you get there and it's raining and it's cold. But these people took compassion upon them and they lit a number of fires up and down the beach and the 276 people were able to gather around them. And in verse 3, as Paul gathered a bundle of brush brushwood and put it on the fire, it's interesting to see that the leader... Is serving, says a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. So somewhere along the line, as Paul had picked up this bundle of brush that was maybe just along the shoreline or whatever, he carries it over. He goes to put it on the big fire, and as he does so, a snake jumps out and bites him on the hand because it senses the heat from the fire. And when the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, "This man is probably a murderer." And though he has escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. And there was a legend that circulated uh, to this effect that a man had actually escaped imprisonment, had traveled by by a ship, had been shipwrecked, but when he made it ashore and he was running from justice as a murderer, he was actually bitten by a snake and died. And it was the adage was you just can't run away from justice. So these guys are looking at Paul saying, well, this guy is a convict and, He's kind of getting away with it, but now justice is caught up with him and therefore he's not going to live. But however, he, being Paul, just shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. <laughs> you get, it's an incredible picture. It says, get off of me. Now where's the lemonade? You know, I mean, just, he just kind of goes on, right? I mean, it's amazing stuff. And they expected that he would swell up or suddenly drop dead. But after they waited a long time, I mean it's one night, right? So how long is a long time? Half an hour, an hour. When they waited a long time and they saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Well, that that's quite a quite a makeover, isn't it? From murderer to god in a couple of verses. Now, in the area around the place, there that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island, a man by the name of Publius who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. That's probably a reference to Paul's smaller party, not all 276 of them. And it's probably because Paul had developed some notoriety as somebody who could survive a viper bite and still go on. And so out of that, they bring him in. And it it happened that Publius' father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and praying... And laying his hands on him, he healed him. And after this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So they heaped many honors on us. And we sailed. And when we sailed, they gave us all that we needed. It's a powerful story. It's kind of almost an imagery of Jesus raising up Peter's mother-in-law so that she could serve. And and Paul does the same thing. And it's interesting in verses 7 through 10, and their whole time on the island, there's not one note of him preaching the gospel. But even without that, they had won the favor of the people by the way they had lived their lives and the way that God had used them. And there's a great message for us in that. So after three months, they had to wait the winter out there on Malta. After three months, we set sail on on an Alexandrian ship that's what they were on before, but they're glutton for punishment. So they climbed back onto an Alexandrian grain ship that was bringing grain from, Alexand- from Alexandria in Egypt to Rome that had wintered at the island and, the, and with, with, with the twin brothers as its figurehead. These were supposedly the children of one of the great gods, and they were the protectors, if you will, of the, those who were sea voyagers. So they had replicas of their heads out on the front of the boat. And putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. And from there, after making a circuit along the coast, we we reached Radium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And the second, we came to um, Puteoli. There we found believers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. Now, the believers... From there it heard the news about us and had come as far as the Forum of Appius in three taverns. So Paul's arrived on in this um, Puteoli, which is the, basically the main harbor that fed into Rome. He's, they're there for seven days. The news reaches out to the church that's already in Rome and believers travel out to meet them. Now, this is not hopping on a bus. Uh, Appius is, is, is uh, 43 miles from Rome. That's like walking from here to, like, what? Arlington, Cambridge? Just so you can go meet Paul. Walking. Not, not taking a Walking. Three taverns, that's... That's 33 miles. That's like walking from here to Waltham, right? I mean, it's, it's a hike. But these people travel out to meet Paul, and look what happens. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God, and he took courage. And when we entered Rome... Paul was permitted to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul was able to rent his own quarters, and there was a guard who was basically handcuffed or chained to him 24 hours a day. Verse 17, And after three days he called together the leaders of the Jews. And when they gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our forefathers, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Remember the episode that occurred in the temple where he was basically scooped up by the Romans because the Jews were trying to kill him. Who, after examining me, wanted to release me since I had not committed a capital offense. In other words, the Romans had tried him, not found anything wrong with him. But because the Jews objected, in other words, that would have ticked off, if you will, the Jewish leaders, he says, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar a dynamic there if you go back and re- read a couple of chapters just beforehand that, you know that that um <coughs> felix wanted to take take him up um festus i believe i think took wanted to re- bring him up to jerusalem so he could be tried in jerusalem and paul knew that was a lynch mob waiting to happen and so he ex- he exercised his roman right to appeal to caesar in other words to say i appeal to the supreme court and with that his case was moved to rome he goes on to say here, And it was not as though I had any accusation against my nation. So for this reason, I've asked to see you and to speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. So Paul was actually indeed chained every single day. And they said to him, We, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers have come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we consider it suitable to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, that's a reference to Christianity, we are aware that it is spoken against everywhere. So their response is, we haven't heard anything about this with you. But we have heard about Christianity. And we know it's creating an uproar wherever it goes. And we're not hearing good things, so we'd love to learn more about it from you. So that's what happens. So they arranged the day with him. And many came to him at his lodging. And from dawn to dusk, I wonder if it was the summer, from like... 5.30, 5.30, quarter or six in the morning until 8, 8.15 at night, right? You know, from dawn to dusk, he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. i tell you what. If you want to have a, a life verse, it's a great one. That from dawn to dusk, you would expound and witness about the kingdom of God. And he persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. So all day long, He's teaching them from the Old Testament about what God was going, doing in Jesus Christ. And some were persuaded by what he said, but others, they didn't believe. So they disagreed among themselves. And as they began to leave, Paul made one statement. So the day's coming to an end. They're listening. They're not sure they agree. There's a lot of debate going back and forth, etc. They're getting up to leave, and Paul says, Oh, oh, oh I got one more word for you. Just, you. just, gotta Let me say one more thing. The Holy Spirit correctly spoke. Through the prophet Isaiah to your forefathers When he said Go to this people and say You will listen and listen Yet never understand No you're going to look And you're going to look And you're never going to perceive For this heart For this people's heart has grown callous Their ears are hard of hearing They've shut their eyes Otherwise they might see with their eyes And hear with their ears And understand with their heart And be converted And I would heal them so Paul's basically saying, you know what? What Isaiah said about his people in his day is true of you today. Your, your minds and your hearts are closed to God, and you can't see the truth even though it's standing right in front of you. And therefore, you are not converted, and you are not healed. It says, therefore, let it be known to you that this saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And after he said these things, the Jews departed, While engaging in a prolonged debate Among themselves Then he stayed two whole years In his own rented house Two years What were you doing two years ago? That's a long time, right? Two years He's already spent two years in Caesarea Waiting for his trial to get sent to Rome Now he spends another two years That's four years out of his life Paul's just been waiting But he doesn't wait Says And he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with full boldness without hindrance. The stage is set for the church to do its greatest work. It's moved from this small, fanatical city of Jerusalem on the outskirts of the Roman Empire, and now it is firmly planted in the center of the world where it can go to anywhere, and the gospel, the kingdom of God, is being proclaimed with boldness and without any restriction. It has moved indeed from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and now it's at a place where it can go to the uttermost parts of the earth. The Romans don't have any problems where the Paul's able to do this. And, and the stage is set for the beginning to create the future. It's a great symbol of the victory of the gospel over all of its barriers. And that's happened in the past, and that's going to happen in the future. But how is it that you and I can build on this foundation? How can it really be just the beginning of the story in our lives and in your lives? And, you know, there's so much stuff that was kind of grabbing me from this text that I just couldn't leave behind that I've decided to have two category of points this morning. The junior varsity and the varsity, all right? Which means with the junior varsity, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of share with you briefly and, and let you chew on those as you go along. With the varsity stuff, I want to spend just a little bit more time on it because I think they have a little bit more significance to us today. You and I can learn how to live with faith the way it's supposed to be, that we can build on this foundation, that this really can be the new beginning for us. If, you, if we will learn some things about how to live our lives as people of faith. And, and one of the things I want to say, and it jumps right out from us from verse 6. I mean, here's Paul. He, he hits land. He gets bitten by the snake. And they're immediately saying, this guy's a murderer. And then within, a, within an hour or two, they're saying, this guy's a god. You know, and they're just, and, you know, we get to watch our hero worship. You know, we, 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 get, we get infatuated with people who impress us, don't we? I mean, <laughs> I loved our, our church planter, uh, Shane Caldwell, had a post on Facebook this week. He said, you know, all the uproar, right, about Prince George, Prince George of Cambridge, right, was born this week. You know, the, the royal, the, one of the royal couples had their child. You know, I think it's Prince George of Cambridge, right? And it's, it's on the front page news. It's on the front of every we, website news kind of thing. It's just out there all the time, right? And, and you think at the same time, we celebrate the birth of the King of Kings every Christmas, and a lot of people will do it without ever picking up a Bible or attending the church service or, or whatever. And we, we get into our hero worship, do don't we? And I got to tell you, we need to be careful. If we're picking up our philosophy from Oprah or from The View or from Chris Matthews on Hardball or Bill you know Bill O'Brien or whatever or O'Reilly, I mean, on on we're in trouble. We need to be picking it up from the real hero, the king of kings, the one who died in our place and sits at the right hand of the Father. We need to make sure that we got our hero worship in the right place. If we're picking up our morality from Tiger Woods and saying, well, I'm a little bit better than him. I must be okay. You know, we're in trouble, you know? And we need to watch what we're doing because we can get infatuated with the circumstances. And then before you know it, we're way off track. Second truth, and again, these are moving quickly through the junior varsity. you know just just let your light shine. you know I look at verses seven through through nine the ten in this chapter, and it 's just incredible i mean i, I don 't know if you noticed, but when the duet was being played at the beginning of the service, it, the tune was "This little light of mine. Remember that this little light of mine i 'm going to let it shine you know here 's Paul and Luke. And the others that, you know, that are traveling with him, they're in this place. And, and without any mention of them sharing the gospel, just by the way that God uses them, the way their light shines through them, the good works that are evident from their lives, God is glorified, and the people respond to them. And they supply all their need. You know, there's ways in which we just need to let our light shine. You know, there's a lot of us, we're, we're, we're kind of trying to keep it just, you know, I, I only want to have certain people see it, you know, on Facebook. I'm going to find those right restrictions. I'm just, you know what I'm saying? We, 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 there's ways in which we're, we're, we're hesitant to really engage our world and let our lives win the respect for the gospel. I'm struck by this passage as well, by just the, the profound value of all of Scripture. And, and, and if you and I are going to be people who really live out and take full advantage of the foundation that's been allied, laid for us in the church, that for us as a church and for as a individual people, we have to be people who value the Scriptures. They were there from dawn to dusk looking at both the law of Moses, which is the first five books, if you will, and the prophets. They were looking at all of the Old Testament. They were studying it. They valued all of the Scriptures. I'd venture to say that the the vast majority of the people in this room have a Bible in their house. I'd still say that it's probably in the minority whether or not the Bible gets read every day in every house. we got to value the Scriptures if we're going to really live this out. I'm also impressed by the fact that in verse 30, he, he welcomes all who have visited him. We, if we're going to be living out the kingdom the way it's seen in the book of Acts, we have to be we have to have an understanding that it includes absolutely everyone. Everyone. Whether they're like us or different than us, whether they're hard to reach or easy to reach, it includes everybody. No discrimination in the way that we share the life-changing message of Christ. Let's move on to the the varsity. Now, look at verse 8 with me. It happened that Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. And Paul went to him, and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. And after this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Where's that power gone? Where's that power gone? I mean, if we're, if we're building on the foundation... Should that kind of power be there? And you know what? I, I, I think we don't appreciate where that power begins, and that's why we don't have the power anymore. Notice what it says here. Paul went into the room, and he just waved his magic wand. No, no, it says and he prayed. Pray. Prereq- prayer is a prerequisite to spiritual power. And it is not something that we value anymore. We, we value praying for what we can get from God. We don't value prayer in terms of staying in relationship with God. You know, I was up the crosswalk one of the nights. And the lesson, the part of the sermon that night was on the fact that our journey with God needs to be we read the Bible, then we say, God, I'm listening. What are you saying to me? And then... You do what it says. The Bible calls that obedience, but you just do what it says. I got to tell you, you put that formula into place where you, you you let God talk to you from the word, and then with an open spirit, you say, God, now what are you saying to me? And when you get that word from God, you go do it. That cycle begins to spin and what emerges is spiritual power. See, but we're often interested in gauging prayer, if you will, so that we can get from God what we want. We, we want. I want my mother to be healed. Not a bad prayer request. I'm not saying we're not supposed to be praying about that stuff. But there's a place for us to be saying, God, okay, what is it that you are saying to me and with that, what do you want me to do? And that all is rooted in prayer. And we're not going to experience that kind of Power until we learn how to pray. See, spiritual power is not tied to how much you know; it's really tied to how much you obey what you know. And that form of submission comes through prayer. See, prayer is a prerequisite for spiritual power, and and, and that that is just something that. That if we want anything like the demonstrations of the presence of God be happening in our lives and in the lives of our church and in our community, it's got to take that kind of prayer. Go, what are you saying? What do I need to know? What do I need to do about it? And then we need to go do it. Second truth. You know, we can read very fast sometimes and miss things that are just fundamentally important. Here, here Paul arrives in this harbor, Cutioli, and he's he's traveling towards Rome, and the believers come out to meet him. And when Paul saw them, it says, he thanked them, and he took courage. You know, it's going to take courage. It's going to take encouragement to be able to live life on the foundation of the beginnings that have been laid for us. It's not something that happens on our own. It's going to take mutual encouragement. One of our sayings here at Hope Chapel, and reminder, you know, faith is a team sport. It's something we have to do together. In all my years of ministry, I've never had anybody say to me, you know what, when I Quit my life group, when I quit going to worship, when I quit having any contact with Christians, boy, my spiritual life just took off. My ministry got better, and I'm just seeing God do more stuff than ever before. I've never, ever had anybody say that to me. Never once. I've heard other people say, you know what, I was kind of out there as a loner, but boy, I, I, I got connected with other believers, and God just started doing incredible things. It takes mutual encouragement. To, to, you know, and, and uh, let me give you an illustration. This is camping season, right? People going camping. Aaron and Tom Snow went camping. I'm sure part of your camping experience, you have a campfire, right? So as a good Boy Scout, you build a rock ring around your fire so it won't scrape out, right? Then you need some paper to get it started. Saturday's Telegram and Gazette. There we go, right? You got some fire. So you got you to have something that can get it going, All right? So then you got to put some wood on it, and then you got to light it. I'm not that dumb, right? Well, all right. Let me ask you. Look at my fire. Is, is this going to work? Yes or no? Why not? Well, I, I get a kindling on there. This is dried, etc. Why isn't it going to work? How many pieces are on there? Think it's going to work with one piece of wood? Now, how about if I did it a little differently? So maybe we just put two pieces of wood. Yeah, let's make it even better. Let's make it four pieces of wood. Better chance? How come? Well, I, I, I didn't like science classes, so I didn't pay that much attention. But I think I know enough to say that when you light the paper, It releases some energy that's stored inside the molecules or whatever, right? And that transfers to the wood. But then the wood feeds off of one another, right? As long as there's more than one piece of wood, the energy being released in one kind of causes the other one to release the energy, and it just kind of keeps burning, right? Until it's all gone. That may be a layman's explanation, but it's good enough for me, all right? I tell you what, when we're trying to do spiritual life like this, You know, there's a way in which by relating to one another, being engaged with one another, really being involved in spiritual relationships, we're literally able in the best of sense to suck the spiritual energy out of one another. To be able to feed off of one another's energy. That's exactly what's happening to Paul. Paul is walking into the center of the universe. He's walking into the lion's den. He's going to stand before the most powerful guy in the world. World, the emperor of the Roman Empire, who even with the blink of an eye could end his life, and he took courage. Took courage because he's connected to other believers. I got to tell you, until we rediscover that sense of mutual encouragement for one another, where 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 we do the real work of being in relationship with one another and actually learn how to feed off of one another, the pages of the Book of Acts are going to remain just pages instead of our real experience. Got one last varsity point for you. You got to love Paul, right? These Jewish leaders show up. He spends all day with them. They're getting ready to leave at the end of the day, you know. And he says, you know what? God was right about you guys. Your hearts are hard. You know, Even though you've heard it all day long You just can't hear it You've seen it out of the word all day long But you just can't recognize it You're just in a bad spot And with that You haven't been healed And so God is moving on at this point And he's taking it to the Gentiles Now the book of Romans in chapters 9 and 11 Talks about how God's going to bring that back around to the Jews But in this particular moment The spiritual opportunity is gone And here's a reality That you and I need To embrace Spiritual opportunities don't last forever We are incredible Spiritual procrastinators Today But spiritual opportunities don't last forever so Some of you You know You, you can replay the tape and, and you can get to a place and Say, You know I was at this moment in my Spiritual journey and it called for a decision And I didn't do it And it's never been the same since Spiritual opportunities don't last forever. They don't last forever. You know, sometimes in a, we're in a place where we think that if I feel it, there's a sense of conviction and and I and I want to do it that somehow or another it's been achieved. It's not the way it works. You know, it's not it's not, you know, when Jesus said, you know, ask and you shall receive, it's not plan to ask and you shall receive. When Jesus said, seek and you'll find it, he, he didn't say, you know, intend to seek and you'll find. You know, when he said, knock and the door shall be opened, he, he didn't say, you know, like, well, the, I, I have it on my schedule to knock. And the, it, it's not, it takes action. You know, my father's from Missouri. You know, when, when I was a kid, it, all the time he said, you know, we're the show me state. Don't tell me, show me. I'll believe it when you show me. You know, there's a, there's a ways in which we fall into a place where we, we think we, if we just talk about it, It's already been accomplished. It doesn't happen that way. It takes action. And spiritual opportunity doesn't last forever. You know, we had a foster kid who lived with us for a while. And I used to tell him, you know, you have a dream without a plan, it's just a wish. You know, but then I got to a point where it really was, you know, if you have a dream with a plan that you don't follow, it's also just a wish. And if we have a sense of conviction... Sense of commitment with the intent to obey and don't—it's still hypocrisy, and the window of opportunity closes. So, what's the spiritual opportunity that's confronting you today? For some of us, you know, we know. Ray said, "This is the thing that God's been getting me to take action about for a long time, and I haven't done it." Well, why not? Why don't we step up? Some of you have been thinking about the claims of Christ and whether or not you're really going to commit your life fully to Him, whether you, you're going to experience the forgiveness that God gives you through, grace, through the grace that's available in Jesus Christ by placing your faith in Him. And, and you've thought about those things, but you've never said, you know what, today's the day that I'm going to choose to become a follower of Christ. Well, today can be the day. Today should be the day. Others of us, we we hear things about reading the Bible. We hear things about praying. We hear things about obeying and those kinds of things. And, and we know, so, you know, that that's me. That's where I need to deal with it. We've known it for a long time, but we've never really taken any action. Well, today's the day. Some of us, we know we, we need to be, we need to have spiritual encouragers in our lives. We need to be connected with other believers. We need to be doing all those things, and yet we've never... Today's the day. Today's the day. Because spiritual opportunity doesn't last forever. Make today the day. Let's pray together. stop oh, right there thank you.
1: Father God, you know what's on Neil's heart especially, Lord, the heaviness in his heart. Lord, it's been a long journey for his mother and her health problems, Lord. But Lord, it's come to a, a point where, Lord, that we come before you trying to understand your will, Lord. Lord, we will raise up uh, Neil's mom to you, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that your peace would dwell in her in such a way, Lord, that she is comforted by your presence. We raise up Neil and the rest of his family, Lord. Lord, just bless them also with your pre- uh, your presence and your peace and your spirit, Lord. Let them uh, be reminded constantly that you are in the in the presence of what's going on, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would just just continue to bless him, Lord. Give him the wisdom and discernment he needs, Lord. But Lord, if it's your if it's your will that she be healed, Lord, that we thank you for that. But Lord, whatever your will is give uh, Neil and the rest of his family the grace to accept it, Lord. Lord, just uh, hold them all together, Lord, and just let them all feel the power of your warm embrace in such a way, Lord, that there's no doubt whatsoever that you are in the midst of what's happening, Lord. Just uh, give the doctors wisdom and discernment in treating his mom, Lord, and be with his dad also, Lord, that it's so hard on the spouse, Lord, as much as it is on uh, his uh, wife. Touch his hand, Lord, and let him feel your presence. And then we ask all this in the name of your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up and lead us in our closing song. And, you know, sometimes we think we just sing these songs so we have time to collect the offering. Well, that's partially true. But we also choose the words pretty carefully. And today's, uh, today's final song is something we, we ought to sing with real meaning. So let's stand and sing as we conclude our time together.